The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. America's top talk shows with breaking news, traffic, and weather. WHIO! W-H-I-O. There is a season Well, good morning and welcome to There is a Season, the Bob and Gloria show. This is the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. Gloria's off today, but she'll be checking up on me. So help me out. Make this a great show with your avid participation and your calls. 457-1290 is the number to connect with me live in the studio today. 937-457-1290. So regardless of the political fallout from this past week, whether it helps or hurts the Biden administration agenda or approval ratings or any of that, we saw a decision, a pair of decisions really, by the Supreme Court, which will have a significant impact on COVID shot policy going forward. If you recall, um, and how could you not? Uh, By a decision of six to three, the mandate uh, for employers with over 100 employees uh, was defeated. However, the uh, mandate for healthcare workers um, went ahead. And it it essentially, you know, it boils down to although COVID-19 is considered a risk in a lot of workplaces, it was not ruled as an occupational hazard. And that was the decision because um, the president simply not able to use a a presidential decree, an executive order to declare where and when and for whom the shot should be given, it decided to instead use the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, a large regulatory agency of the U.S. Department of Labor. So that got defeated. Now, historically, if you go back about 100 years, we have the Bureau of Labor Standards, which promulgated and supervised a set of standards in the 20s and the 30s, that usually followed with each expansion of economic activity in the country's history. So as economic activity expanded, usually they saw a rise in injury rates and and perhaps less focus on safety in the rush to, you know, build and access and dominate markets and whatnot. Unions played a big role in promoting worker safety over the decades, as did most forward-thinking and prudent companies. They didn't want their workers getting hurt. But there's been this back and forth between business and government as business grew and technology changed and new and different work hazards emerged. OSHA also operated a little differently at the federal, state, and private company level with its job, safety, and health programs. It had a little direct influence over self-employed people and, uh, you know, when you employed family members and certain things in the farm industries and whatnot. And then some, some things were covered outside of OSHA They weren't directly under the OSHA supervision. But let's get to the thesis underlying why we even have OSHA. It's to assure that employers provide a safe workplace. This means not only adhering to OSHA safety and health standards, but having an active posture of finding and correcting safety and health problems. Additionally, those entities governed by the OSHA Act are supposed to make changes to working conditions 
kind of earlier and farther out from the point of danger or harm. So, for instance, it's better to use safer chemicals than simply rely on thicker gloves or better masks to protect a worker. Beyond informing workers of safety issues, companies adhering to OSHA regulations are supposed to keep records of accidents, injuries, and illnesses, provide safety training, protective equipment, provide safety testing of the work environment, post citations of injuries and illness reports where workers can see them, and much more. Workers then also have a significant uh, set of rights and responsibilities regarding the reception of this information and reporting of injuries and, and, and things like that. And if you run a business regulated in any way by OSHA, you know the details of which I speak and many of the nuances of regulations and their application. But along comes something that you can't see or touch or smell or taste or hear. In the beginning, there's confusion about where it came from and who was responsible. That investigation is ongoing. Was it a naturally occurring phenomenon? Was it by design and people got careless? Was it by design and intended to wreak what it has? Who knows? That's fodder for the future. But this thing, well, think about it. It's not created as a byproduct of a manufacturing or assembly process. Nobody can track it as a result of direct activity by a company, its workers or vendors. And thus, the original dynamic that created the impetus for OSHA, that a company had a legal, moral, and operational responsibility to provide a safe and healthy work environment, that these things should be baked into the daily operations of a company, that a company, in effect, had to care about its workers, and many would anyway, without OSHA for sound business, recruiting, and retention, and moral reasons, well... This tasteless, soundless, unscented, invisible element, it just didn't care. It didn't care any more than the weather cared about safety. It didn't care what the governor said, or people in lab coats, or those representing science, or those fixated on case counts on the nightly news. The virus known as Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2 or COVID-19, essentially trumped all of this. It trumped mask mandates, which have next to no value in most settings. If not due to the insufficiency of their design, especially the silly, ubiquitous, blue pleated model or cloth models or gaiters, you know, maybe somebody will put that into some kind of a art show down the road and get a million-dollar government grant for, you know, some assembly of blue masks. By the way, the virus gets through all of that. Um, it could also be due to the lack of ability for the wearers to use them correctly. Now, I'll grant that N95s, KN95s, and N100s have some value, but most people don't get those. They don't have access to the N100s particularly. But you'd be amazed how often I've seen employees at nursing homes. They've got them pulled down over their faces, you know, off their nose and so forth. And, and who can blame them? They're doing hard work. They need to breathe. But did you also know it's estimated in many studies that people touch their faces over 20 times per hour? More if they're kids. How often did you wear the same mask and wear it correctly? Or how often did you pull on it, adjust it, wear it below your nose, and so forth? 
Were you able to keep track of which one knocking around the floor of the car was the fresh one? <laughs> I know a lot of people didn't throw away stuff after a while. Did schools keep track of precisely where germs went when a mask had to be removed so that a student could place food or drink in his or her mouth? Did the droplets and the aerosols hover in a cloud around that student like pig pen in the Peanuts shows or the Peanuts movies? We're talking about a virus here. Billions of particles. It didn't care about stupid mask mandates. It also didn't care about just how many shots that healthy guy got who still got sick from COVID. The virus laughed at all of this as it did in watching people try to gauge Is that six feet? Three feet? Wait a minute. You were at six feet. Now you're, hey, would you stay still for a minute? And then there was the study of the explosive sneezes floating 30 feet and all through a store, including many aisles from where you were. The virus didn't care about your social distancing. These guidelines, in many cases, were promulgated and enforced to the point of physical removal of your person from point A to point B, or your denial of access to point A or point B by government agencies that answered to other agencies that answered to a very small cadre of officials or experts. And all through that, all through a 30% contraction in the economy in the second quarter of 2020, the virus didn't care. It kept on doing what viruses do. It spread. And thank goodness for all those companies that made billions of dollars per year off the cold and flu industry even before COVID. Viruses are a truism. Viruses make money. And they simply are, regardless of their origin or our feelings about them. And as I heard it from more than one scientist early on in this whole drama, trying to create so-called vaccines, and I urge you to educate yourself on the difference between other traditional vaccines and the mRNA COVID shots, well, trying to chase the virus into a corner with one shot and then another, and then a booster and another booster, well, what happens? You get variants. The virus doesn't think, it just survives. So thank you, Mr. President, for your valiant attempt to end the virus. It got you elected, more or less, and in your ignorance and hubris, you failed. Congratulations. A lot of people failed. A lot of people died. A lot of people got rich. A lot of people bossed around a lot of other people. Now, of course, we've had millions of cases, over 860,000 deaths in this country. Most research from the hospitals say that the average person dying had four or more comorbidities like obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and so forth. Four or more. These people didn't ask to be at risk. Nobody asked to die. The virus didn't care. The virus did what viruses do and spread and often took the most vulnerable and in some cases, people we did not expect to be taken. We may yet find that human genetics played a huge role in the susceptibility to this and future viruses. In any and all ways, as a biological event alone, it is a massive tragedy, and I sympathize with anyone who got sick or lost a loved one to this terrible disease. Back to the mandates and the Supreme Court ruling. As I've said before, As much as I felt the fear when numbers were skyrocketing in 2020, and as much as I felt some impulse to say to my elected and other leaders, do something, I also realized the folly that was unfolding before our eyes. President Trump and others at the time made sweetheart deals with pharmaceutical companies that generated billions of dollars in profits, 
with full indemnification and risk mitigation. And mainstream and social media conspired to shut down all dissent, all other opinions and approaches, approaches that worked in other parts of the world for hundreds of millions of people. I always thought that was strange. All the censoring of other opinions and doctors and research. It was as if if you had cancer, you were going to be told there's this one therapy you can use, just one, and we, those of us in power, have it. Don't bother exploring other methods. Don't bother seeking information from other smart people. Do this thing over here and do it because, well, because we say so. We, the elite, have decided. That thinking has been the M.O. of the government and mainstream media, and perhaps many of you since the beginning. Quick, we got to do something. Or for so many people, gosh, I hope somebody tells me what to do. And of course, that's ripe and ready ground for those in the habit of telling people what to do, or who enjoy the introduction, exercise, and permanence of emergency powers. Thus, the president continued all of last year to co-opt your choices regarding the shot until he was stopped this week by six Supreme Court justices. So what do you think? Are you relieved? Are you furious it took this long and involved all this legal wrangling? Are you ticked off that there will now not be a mandate that affects 85 million workers at companies over 100 employees? Because, you know, 100 is the magic number, just like six feet. What was your plan B if the mandate had gone through? Were you seeking, had you sought, a religious or medical exemption? And what was that going to be like? I got some stories to share with you about that. All in all, I want to hear what you think of this past week's decision and the other decision regarding healthcare workers in Medicare, Medicaid-funded environments. Give me a call at 457-1290-937-457-1290 for your calls when we continue. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Well, the court rules that COVID-19 is not an occupational hazard, i.e. OSHA guided, but a universal risk. It's not exactly time for celebration, I suppose. The hospitals are jammed. Everybody and their uncle seems to be getting this latest variant. And as much as I don't want another single person to suffer, a part of me is thinking, fine, run this thing into the ground let the virus tap itself out. Maybe we'll get back to some sense of normalcy this summer and into next winter. Stay tuned, of course. The government will need some reason to justify the next booster booster, and a half billion or billion test kits that will arrive uh, about six months too late. Sorry for the cynicism. Um, we're talking today about the recent court decisions. Were you on pins and needles, no pun intended, regarding the OSHA-based employer mandate. Just think how hard that would have been to implement and enforce, by the way. What a massive disruption to millions of jobs that would have produced. Anyway, were you ready for it? Did you have a plan B? Were you looking at other kinds of work? Had you stockpiled 
your government cash and uh, not spent so much for the holidays. Four five seven twelve ninety. Call me now with your opinion about what all of this meant to you. Now, of course, uh, the stipulation uh, put it in a lot of places, and and by the way, there were an awful lot of companies that already went ahead and and did their mandates regardless of uh, what the government stipulated. But a lot of times, the exemption had particular rulings, you know, and and nuances to it. Uh, and so, in some cases, you know, you had to do the weekly testing at your own expense. Um, and if you had not been, you know, way out ahead of the curve, good luck finding testing kits and uh, needing to go through whatever that is, you know, 52 of them a year. Uh, I don't know if some places needed you to test more often than that. But then uh, here's the neat part. In a lot of cases, you then had to uh, provide proof to your boss, your supervisor, or whoever that boss designated of your testing uh, results. Of course, next year they'll want to know your menstrual cycle or, you know, when you've had marital relations or you'll have to sign a form for that bathroom break or turn in receipts for that itch cream you bought. Uh, A lot of people looked at this as an unbelievable violation of privacy. Um, Even if it had been stipulated somehow that, you know, you took your swab and you stuck it in some machine, kind of like the suggestion box. You know, here's here's my weekly... My weekly swab. I'll just stick it over here in this little slot through the door, uh, and I'll try to do it surreptitiously so people don't know, you know, whether I've got a religious or a medical exemption or not. Um, the fact is that in, in a lot of cases, you had to provide some kind of direct proof to the people you work with, like it was any other business, and you know that somehow they were going to manage you differently, or you wouldn't be ostracized as much or something. So, uh, anyway, I'd like to know what you think today of this whole thing, the fact that six justices said, no, we're not going to do that for these companies with 100 employees, or whether you're disappointed, whether you think more employees, uh, excuse me, employers should have these mandates. And then coming up, what about our dear healthcare workers? The Mayo Clinic didn't need a court decision. They just spit 700 workers out on the street. Thanks for your help. Appreciate it. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. We've got thousands more leaving the profession after extraordinary and understandable burnout. What calculations have our hospitals and health groups made to so quickly dismiss thousands upon thousands of workers based on whether they've had a shot or not? Are they paying nurses enough? Who will be serving you the next time you need medical care? A traveling nurse? A nurse from another country? Give me a call today. We'll talk about that and the mandate defeated by the Supreme Court this past week regarding companies with over 99.9 employees. I'm sorry, 100. 457-1290, that's 937-457-1290 when we continue. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. America's top talk shows with breaking news, traffic, and weather. WHIO. WHIO.
Welcome back to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. 457-1290 is the number to jump on board about your reaction to the Supreme Court decisions this past week. I know there has been a pause, a stay regarding federal contractors in this regard. And of course, in this region, that includes tens of thousands of very talented individuals. Talk about a brain drain if those people are forced out. Think about that. But outside of that group, how do you feel about what's happened? Do you think the Supreme Court erred in its decision about companies? Are you relieved and rejoicing that there has been some reaffirmation of privacy? What are the dynamics going forward here, particularly involving our healthcare workers? Which, of course, will set us up here with our first caller. This is Ashley, who's uh, been dutifully waiting on, on hold. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm glad you called. Uh, what's on your mind here regarding the whole topic of these um, mandate decisions? Well, um, I, I'm actually a nurse. I work in the Dayton area at a local ER. And um, we, a lot of the mandates, we're looking at understaffing. And it's really it's pushing our health care to the point of a collapse. Mm-hmm. Because... The floors right now are being staffed by either traveling nurses or staff nurses. And the majority of these staff nurses are undergrads. Um, they're brand new nurses straight out of nursing school. They have no experience. They're going straight into these specialties. And, um, you know, it's just, I don't know about you, but if you come in with a heart attack, how comfortable do you feel having someone who's only had maybe 8 to 16 weeks of training, hands-on training, taking care of you or a loved one? It is scary. Yeah. And then they put... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I've heard stories of this. I've also heard of some really odd ratios, people working in ICUs, for instance, where... Uh, and if you're not familiar with what goes on in an ICU or a neural ICU, there, it's an incredibly uh, taxing environment. People who need, uh, obviously, the, the extreme level of care and maybe two patients is the normal load for somebody and, and they're being asked to take on three or four or five patients uh, because they can't get enough people or because people have called off or because people have gotten sick. Is that what you've seen out there, too? That is absolutely true. Uh, before I started working at the ER I'm at, I was actually employed on a COVID ICU step-down unit uh, during the first wave of the pandemic. And it got to the point where we were taking on six to eight patients on an ICU step-down. These patients have trachs, they have vents. Um, the, these are long-term stable vents because it is a step-down unit, so it's not quite like an ICU, but they have a lot of the titratable drugs that are necessary, things like that, and it's a higher acuity, and then they're stacking six to eight patients on them, and it got to the point where I said, you know what, I'm not okay with this, and they told me, um, they said, if you're not willing to take on a uh, uh, assignment that the administration deems appropriate, then you can leave, and I said, sir, you may have my badge because I can always find another job. I can't get a new license when I screw up because I can't handle this patient load. And the problem is, is these hospitals, they are completely gaslighting the employees. Patients come in and they go, oh, are you busy? Do you, do you guys have a lot of patients? 
And all I can say, ma'am, is a national shortage. Yeah, and that's the I, most I, truthful I, answer I can give my. It, it is amazing to me. I mean, the, I'm, I've been trying to work through the calculation here of why uh, people, especially people who have been on the ropes now for the last couple of years. Um, as I said uh, to a nurse not long ago, I said, you know, the healthcare system does not revolve around buildings and equipment. It's nice to have no, centers of excellence and so forth and all that. But nurses essentially run the entire health system, not doctors. I'm not looking to force a divide between doctors and nurses. But, you know, the doctors are specialists. They write orders and all that kind of thing. The nurses run the day-to-day. And especially in a situation like an ICU, you're not going to have patient care techs taking on elaborate support activities. The nurse does the deal, does everything in the environment for that patient. And so, Absolutely. so so you're taking your business basically and saying, well, I'm going to just truncate it. I'm going to cut off my nose to spite my face. What do you think this yeah. calculation is going forward? How are we going to sustain, aside from, uh, aside from danger to the patients, this is their lifeblood, the people walking in the hallways and doing this kind of care. Many of them, as you said, with a great deal of experience. So do we outsource yeah. all of this to... Uh, foreign nurses? Do we suddenly pay ridiculous sums and bonuses to get people in or get traveling nurses in? How, how are we going to do this? See, I mean, I might as well throw on a garbage bag and call myself disposable because the problem lies in the administration. It goes all the way up to the higher ups because when you got the CDC saying, you're five days, you're five days out from COVID, come in sick. We don't care if you're still coughing. And then you're walking into immunocompromised patients' rooms and passing the COVID. Yeah. They, they do not, they, we're disposable. They don't care about it. Because you're still and shedding, we, right? Yeah. Right. And I mean, you just, and it's not even always about the money. It's, we just want safe ratios. We just want to be able, nobody walks on the floor and says, you know what? I think today I'm going to give subpar care. I'm going to leave that person lying in their feces. I just don't care. No nurse does that. And the problem is, is people sit there on their call light. They can't go to the bathroom because the nurses are not being supported. And you're cutting off the backbone of the entire healthcare system when you're treating your nurses like that. Yeah. And you can pay as much as you want, but that doesn't mean that people are going to come into the abuse. It is completely an abusive field. And even, yeah, and, and, and honestly, uh, even when ratios were better, uh, COVID absolutely maxed out the system here emotionally for a lot of people. Uh, I've known of yeah. people who, uh, you know, would leave their shift after 12 hours and they'd spend the next couple hours crying or having to have a drink or, or whatever. It's uh, it's like being in a MASH unit. Um, and and it's just, it is amazing to me. For a country that has gone through various convulsions over the years, uh, the poorly treated um, ex-Vietnam, you know, a vet that came back, uh, you know, and, and, and didn't get the same kind of uh, rewards and accolades that people from other conflicts did. You know, we learned a lesson from that, and now we treat our military in much higher regard. And so now we've had uh, another war against COVID, and we're not treating the nurses uh, the same way. We're, no. As you say, we're making them uh, expendable. 
Ashley, I got a couple yeah. other calls. I appreciate you calling in, and, and you're welcome to call back anytime. I'd like to hear more about your journey and, and what you plan to do going forward. Thank you so much, and thank you for addressing this topic. This is something that is so important that's going on in our country right now. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate that. Thank you, and, and good luck to you, okay? Blessings. Have a great day. You Bye. too. Four five seven twelve ninety. We're talking here today about the uh, Supreme Court decision, the mandate about employers with over a hundred employees, and also about our healthcare workers who did not get the benefit of a mandate a decision breaking their way. Uh, let's talk to Jacques, who's been online. Hey, Jacques. Hey, Jacques. Welcome yeah, to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Can you hear me? Okay. I can. Just make sure that your speaker in the back is turned down because it's it's going to create a delay for us here. So if you have anything else. Does this sound okay? That sounds great. All right. What's going on? Uh, uh, about the Supreme Court uh, ruling, I uh, I agree with it. Um, I think they made the right call. Um, Which one? Yeah, Both? The government doesn't have a right to, to force anything like that upon you. Um, I think that that's an individual choice and that, you know, common sense should prevail. Um, you know, I'm uh, almost 70 years old. I'm in excellent health. And uh, when I was a kid, you know, we had to have polio uh, vaccines and other vaccines to be able to go to public school. And uh, I remember my first job as a kid at McDonald's, I had to go down and get a health card. I had to have a chest X-ray. Uh, I had to make sure that I didn't have tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be able to work in the food industry. And, you know, all that stuff's gone now. Uh, you don't even have to have a blood test to get, a, I think, a marriage license. I mean, would test you for venereal diseases. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's sad that our society has has taken a turn to go this way. Um, you know, I think that um, uh, in a way, people have too much freedom. Too much freedom. Yeah, they have too much in some ways, and uh, you know, I mean, and it's it's just so much going on with education and, and science. It's like people don't understand biology science like we did when we were brought up when we were kids going to school uh we were taught a lot of things and and you know it's just common sense to me to get vaccinated uh if you're healthy i mean if you can do so you should do it um and and the one other one other thing i wanted to say is is you know there's a lot of people that aren't vaccinated and they're 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 getting sick uh with this new variant but, uh, you know, and everyone's wearing all these masks. And I, my question is, are the masks really working? Evidently, they're not. So- no, I, I don't believe the masks are the key. And, and here's something to keep in mind. Uh, we, we, this did not get as, perhaps as much news as it should have. One of the countries in the world that had the highest vaccination rates is the country of Israel. Right. And fairly early along uh, their uh, journey... They had something like 78 to 80 percent of the populace that had been vaccinated. Then uh, about halfway into the whole deal, they took a look at those people who had been hospitalized because of getting COVID. Sixty six percent of their cases were from people who were vaccinated. It, it belies the whole idea that vaccination uh, keeps you from getting COVID, which was the original promise or keeps you from spreading COVID, which was a secondary promise. 
I'm uh, I'm not here to uh, do a deep dive on the value of the vaccine. It may in fact provide some protection from from people getting seriously sick or getting worse off. But in terms of its original promise to keep you from getting COVID or keep you from spreading it, it's bunk. There have been plenty of people, tens of thousands of people who have gotten sick with COVID, having gotten the shot and continue to spread it. And that doesn't even touch on the whole issue of whether or not the shots themselves have long-term downstream effects on people's health. Right. So the question here, though, is what role? I mean, if a company wants to say we've got a mandate, that's their call. That's correct. But for the government to come in and say you've got to do X, Y, Z, butts up against a certain level of privacy and freedom for people. I've always let the market decide things. If you think it's prudent to have your employees get this shot, you've stuck your finger in the air and you say, based on health, my moral feelings, litigation, all that kind of stuff, we're going to get the shot, then knock yourself out. But to have the force of law behind it, telling people you've got to do X, Y, Z, unbelievable, unprecedented in my mind. Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. Yeah, you know, and I went... You know, I had COVID back in February of 2020 uh, before the testing was even available. And, you know, I'm, like I say, I'm very healthy. I don't get sick very often. Um, every now and then I'd get the flu over the years. But it was the worst flu I have ever had in my life. Uh, it wasn't life-threatening to me, but it, I've never felt that bad in my life. And that was the first variant. Yeah. Well, it wasn't the variant. It was the original COVID. And then... You know, three or four weeks ago, I, you know, I, of course, I had my booster back in November. Uh, I got, I got the Omicron variant. Okay. Yeah. And it was just like a, a cold. You know. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. I, so I mean, I think you know the boosters, the shots do help. Um, so I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, it's just. Uh, it's going to affect people a lot differently, but but you know what happens with your own personal choice regarding how you treat things and how you and your doctor discuss it is a different topic than having the government tell you the X, Y, Z. Hey, i got to run. we got a break here, and uh, I've got Bill on the other line when we come back. Appreciate the call today, Jacques. Take care. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. 457-1290 as we talk about the decisions the Supreme Court made this past week. And if we can squeeze it in, I want to do a little note here on an upcoming show we've got regarding the concept of play, P-L-A-Y. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. Gloria's off today, but you got me here. I appreciate your calls today. We're going to obviously be revisiting the whole topic of COVID this, COVID that as time goes on. But we're going to talk about some other things, including soon the concept of play. It's an idea, excuse me, that people can find retreat, fellowship, recreation, wellness, and a wealth of other good things doing something that is not work. COVID obviously affected our ability to play to some degree, but what about uh, changes that have occurred in the concept and pursuit of play or leisure over the last several decades? Is it important? Is it important to you? 
do you have five minutes or 15 minutes or an hour to yourself for play? <clears throat> and we're going to be discussing some of that. I myself have belonged to a, a softball league, which I'll share uh, information with when I have a little bit more time. Uh, for the last, uh, I don't know, most of the last decade, and I've been a gym rat other than that. And my knees can attest to the punishment of playing basketball, especially against guys 20 and 30 years younger than myself. Play has always been an important part of things. And I was never a, a jock when I was younger. I didn't play sports in high school. It all happened after the age of 20. So we're going to get into that, and that's one type of play. There's other kinds of play, and that's on an upcoming show for There is a Season. Got to go for now, and... Um, Again, I appreciate your participation in today's program and listening. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. It is time for us to go. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step you take. Reach out to someone around you and offer them a kind word or a hand. For Gloria Shanahan, for our producers and everyone who makes the show possible, thanks for spending some time with me today. You have been listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and News 95.7.